0: Welcome back once again to The Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Ranting at you in the wee hours of October 2nd, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And on this rant, I will be discussing a very timely and important book that I just received and read, Russia in Africa, Resurgent Great Power or bellicose pretender, question mark, by Samuel Romani, hot off the presses, released June 2023 by Oxford University Press. And I find the title compelling because it touches on the question, subject to much debate on left book, as they say in online lefty discourse, About whether Russia is really imperialist, with, of course, the tankies, those who are rooting for the Russian tanks in Ukraine, contending that it is not, and us intransigent ultras, as we are sometimes derided, naive ultra-leftists, contending that it is. So, especially in the context of Africa— where presumably Kremlin-directed Russian mercenaries, have been extremely busy of late. Is Russia truly a great power that can challenge the traditional colonial and neo-colonial powers on the African continent, France, Britain, the U.S.? Or is it a pretender, which at this moment is assuming a particularly bellicose posture to compensate for its lack of structural imperial power on the continent, shall we say. This book is very detailed. Samuel Romani, who is actually a lecturer at Oxford, truly brings a wealth of research, and it especially, of course, deals with the Wagner group, the ostensibly private entity, to which the Kremlin has farmed out much of its imperial activities in Africa. The book, of course, doesn't deal with the situation since Wagner's seeming attempted coup in Russia, which took place exactly as this book was being released in June, and its seeming disbandment since then, and the seeming assassination of his leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, in August, all very murky, still very unclear how much has changed, especially for Africa, where the Wagner Group had operations going on in multiple countries. I will note that on August 31st, just days after Prigozhin was killed in a convenient air crash, a Russian diplomatic delegation met with Burkina Faso's interim president, as he is called, better-rendered junta leader Ibrahim Traoré in the capital, Ouagadougou, to discuss military cooperation. This is an apparent sign of Moscow seeking to shore up its burgeoning influence sphere in Africa following what may be the demise or restructuring of the Wagner Group, Romani takes a very long view, going not just back to Soviet times, but to imperial times. And you know how I'm always saying that imperial Russia was a land power rather than a sea power, and therefore had internal colonies in the Caucasus and Siberia, rather than external colonies in Africa? Well, it turns out that there was one such effort, a Russian attempt to establish a colony in Africa, which I had not been aware of. This was, to an extent, a freebooting adventure, so to speak, akin to those of the American filibusters in the same era, such as the notorious William Walker, who seized Nicaragua with a band of mercenaries and briefly set himself up as president there in the 1850s. The similar personality here was Nikolai Ashinov, who seized a small chunk of Djibouti with a band of Cossacks in 1889, specifically the coastal town of Sagalo, which he renamed New Moscow, and seems to have been gambling that Russia would recognize and defend but the French had already claimed all of Djibouti for themselves and sent a few gunboats to clear out Ashinov's little colony. And the Tsar, who Romani identifies as Nicholas II, but I think should actually have been his predecessor, Alexander III, just saying Romani, was then wooing France as an ally against Germany and refused to back up Ashinov. Much, I will point out, as President James Buchanan refused to back up Walker when the other Central American republics invaded Nicaragua to depose him in 1857. Anyway, so Russia's one attempt to establish an African colony was brief and abortive, but there was, in fact, such an attempt. But Russia's first real push into Africa was in the Soviet era, and especially the 70s and 80s, when Moscow was seeking to groom, especially Libya, Angola, and Ethiopia, as client states. Romani doesn't use that term, I don't think, but it's basically what he's describing. Economic and military aid with strings attached much the kind of relationship the Western powers had with their own client states in the Cold War. But Russian influence in Africa collapsed, along with the USSR, and didn't start to recover again until 2000, significantly the year after Vladimir Putin came to power, and has rapidly accelerated over the past decade. Which brings us to the contemporary era, which is the book's real focus. Romani details Wagner Group misadventures in countries across the continent, and it's all pretty grim. In the Central African Republic, Human Rights Watch has called for the International Criminal Court to investigate Wagner Group atrocities. In Mali and Burkina Faso, the Wagner Group exploited coups d'etat to gain a foothold and has also been implicated in atrocities. Most notoriously the massacre of hundreds of unarmed civilians at the Malian town of Mora, which took place almost simultaneous with the massacre of hundreds of unarmed civilians at the Ukrainian town of Buka in late march twenty twenty two. Romani notes, as we have in our previous coverage, how the Wagner Group has seized control of mineral interests in Sudan in integrated paramilitary extractivist operations, and also how Russia is now establishing its first official military base on the African continent in that country, at Port Sudan on the Red Sea. Now, in all these cases— the Wagner Group was contracted by the national government, but in Libya, it was, and presumably is, backing the eastern warlord Khalifa Haftar, who is fighting against the so-called official government in Tripoli, which Moscow diplomatically recognizes. Romani notes that Moscow has actually sent war planes to back up Haftar, although it is left unclear whether they were piloted by Russian Air Force personnel or Wagner Group mercenaries or Haftar's own forces. Romani also portrays Russia as attempting to groom Saif al-Islam Gaddafi, the ousted dictator's son, who is wanted by the International Criminal Court but nonetheless remains at large in Libya and attempting to run for president, as a potential surrogate, maybe using him to hedge their bets in case Haftar fails to take power, which it now looks like he will not. Especially interesting is the discussion of Mozambique, where the Wagner Group adventures have received all too little media coverage, and where it really was humiliated and got its ass kicked bad by the Islamist insurgents. And where the Wagner Group mercenary activities definitely followed Russian oil interests, in 2018, Russia's Rosneft entered into a joint venture for oil exploration in Mozambique with ExxonMobil. Wonder if that contract has been affected by the current sanctions? I suspect not. Moving again from the shadowy world of the Wagner Group to the more above board, Russia, in April 2022, signed a military cooperation deal with Cameroon, another country in the traditional French sphere of influence, which is actually now waging two separate counterinsurgency campaigns, both sorely underreported against Boko Haram in the north of the country and against the Ambazonian separatists in the west. And the Russian nuclear monopoly Rosatom has also been very busy in Africa of late. It signed a deal for development of a nuclear reactor with Algeria in 2015, although it doesn't appear to have been built. Rosatom was also apparently in secret talks with South Africa's Jacob Zuma on nuclear cooperation, revelations of which were part of what resulted in his ouster in 2018, along with numerous corruption charges that have since landed him in prison. And Rosatom, just this year, signed a deal with Egypt to build a nuclear power plant at El Daba, which would make Egypt the second country on the continent, after South Africa, to have a nuclear generating plant. So definitely a rapidly growing military, paramilitary, extractivist, and nuclear footprint on the African continent. Now, again, there is a wealth of detail in Romani's book, but it doesn't really answer its own question which I was a little frustrated by. Okay, you can leave it up to the reader, I guess. But is Russia an imperial power in Africa? It does come down to a question of definitions. Clearly, Russian imperialism is not the globalized super-imperialism of the United States, which is, by the way, in retrenchment at the moment or at least was, until it was given a new lease on life by Russia's Ukraine invasion, ironically. Yes, clearly, Russian imperialism is on a much cruder and more improvised model, and if at the moment, at least, it is more bellicose, arguably only because its forces are filling the vacuum left by the contraction of French and Anglo-American imperialism in Africa, at a time when the Sahel countries especially are facing really persistent and brutal insurgencies. And perhaps Russian imperialism is not precisely the imperialism described by Lenin in his definitive essay, Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism, 1916, that of expansion driven by finance capital, deriving super-profits, as Lenin called them, beyond what the national bourgeoisies of the great powers could reap from their own country's populations, both in terms of exploiting foreign labor and opening foreign markets. Although I'll note that in that essay, while mostly focusing on Germany, Britain, and to a lesser degree France and the U.S., Lenin does count Russia as among the great powers with colonial holdings, presumably a reference to the Ukraine, the Baltics, and Caucasus. On the other hand, Lenin also writes that the Russian oil fields in Baku, quote, unquote, which are, of course, in Azerbaijan, not Russia, were controlled by the Rockefellers and Rothschilds, which may be somewhat overstated, but points to a perception that Imperial Russia was to an extent itself colonized by Western finance. But certainly, Imperial Russia was an internal empire, so to speak, ruling over places like Azerbaijan, even if its status was subsidiary among the other great powers of the day. And I would argue That contemporary Russia is imperialist in any case, certainly by a common-sense definition perish the thought, and whether it is a great power comparable to the Western great powers or is merely a pretender to this status, Putin's Russia is clearly imperialist in its intents and ambitions. And as with Germany and Italy, coming rather late to the great power game and the scramble for Africa a century and change ago, its need to overcompensate for its own perceived inadequacy may actually make it more dangerous, if you get my drift. anyway. A very timely and worthwhile read. Russia in Africa, Resurgent Great Power, or Bellicose Pretender? By Samuel Romani, Oxford University Press, 2023. Check it out. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon. Join the Counter Vortex. Join the resistance and rant on you next time.